Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Tish Vincent. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Ryan Payton, the director of the Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program, as our guest today. Ryan is an adjunct professor at the University of Denver Sturm College of Law. She's a former litigator, seasoned consultant, and advocate on professionalism, diversity, and equity in the legal field. We'll be talking about mentoring professional identity to improve lawyer well-being. So Ryan, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I am a lawyer. I spent the first eight years of my practice in civil litigation in medium to large size law firms. And during that time, I really focused uh, on the problems of the profession as I saw them, diversity and inclusion, well-being issues, mentoring. And it got to the point where uh, I felt like I had to do something to better the profession. And so I I left the practice of law uh, to take this position with the Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program. And now I get to spend uh, my time working with uh, new lawyers, a young lawyers, lawyers in transition, helping them to connect with the professional development resources that will allow them to have a successful and fulfilling legal career. Ryan, how do you define professional identity to new lawyers? So the the guiding definition of professional identity is really just the way a lawyer views his or her role within the legal system. But I take it a little bit further than that. And the way that I explain it to new lawyers is that your professional identity is not only the way that you see your role in the legal system, but the way that you operate within the legal system, the way that you interact with the stakeholders of the legal system, so clients, judges, opposing counsel, colleagues. And and all of those uh, ways that you interact and ways that you operate within the system are based on the values, the beliefs, and the lived experiences that you bring as an individual to the practice of law. And those values, beliefs, and lived experiences are going to dictate how you practice, where you practice, uh, and whether you feel fulfilled by the practice of law. And so because we all come to the practice with a different lived experience, with different beliefs and different values, we each have a unique professional identity that we bring into the profession. The issue of professional identity, do you think it's important for a new lawyer to develop that in order to be a successful lawyer? I do. I I think that professional identity is really the foundation to a successful legal career. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, the research has shown us that simply going to law school actually changes our brain structure, changes the way that uh, we process information, certainly, and uh, changes the way that the chemicals in our brain respond to things like stress and, and trauma. And so if we take at face value the fact that legal education and going to law school changes us as human beings, we have to think about how that changes our perception of ourselves, our internal identities. And there is this notion that for most lawyers, we have what we call a thin professional identity, where essentially we are bifurcating between who we are as people, the values and beliefs uh, that we we have as individuals, with who we are as practitioners. So, for instance, the, the folks who feel like they come to work every day and put on a mask, put on a persona to, to do their jobs, and then they go home and go back to being themselves. And this, this notion of a thin professional identity can be very dangerous because if you're constantly bifurcating 
replicating who you are as a person and who you are as a practitioner, eventually that's going to influence your mental health and well-being, certainly, but also the way that you make ethical decisions in your practice and the way that you interact with your colleagues around issues of professionalism and civility. And so if we're not talking about professional identity, if we're not uh, trying to get away from that thin professional identity and move to something that's more cohesive, where our professional identity as uh, as lawyers is intersecting with who we are as, as individuals, it can cause a lot of problems down the road for lawyers. Makes sense. You talk about defining professional success, and you also help new lawyers to become aware of the indicators of professional success. I thought that was a very interesting point for people to think about more. Can you share your thinking on that topic with our listeners? And I I was wondering, what are some of the most obvious indicators and how can they be cultivated? I know that's a long question, but... Well, it's, it's not so much a long question. It's more of a complex question in the sense that indicators of success are going to vary from person to person. But let me back up and, and just talk a little bit about why uh, definitions of professional success and indicators of success are so important to professional identity. When we all come out of law school, I think there's this misnomer that we all have the same chances of success in this profession. We've all had the same education. Uh, we've all, you know, moved through the same checkboxes of going to college, taking the LSAT, going to law school, passing the bar. And so we think because we've all jumped through the same hoops, checked the same boxes, that our experience in the profession is going to be similar. But we know that it's not. We know that certainly some people find great success. Some people end up leaving the profession. And then there's everybody in between. And so when we're looking at uh, why people find success in practice or how they find success in practice, it really comes down to how they see themselves as individuals and as practitioners. Uh, And so helping lawyers, especially new lawyers, to create a definition of success that works for them is very important. And so when we're working with new lawyers and asking them, what does success look like for you? How will you know if you've been successful in in the practice of law? A lot of times, it's a very difficult question for them to answer. It's something they haven't really considered. And if they have considered it, uh, a lot of times they're just regurgitating what somebody else's definition of success is. Maybe a a parent or a professor or a managing partner who has said, this is what success as a lawyer looks like. And so we try to work with them over time to help them create a definition of success that is unique to them. And that may be a combination of uh, intrinsic definitions of success. So, for instance, I do this work because I'm passionate about children or I'm passionate about uh, defense of of indigent folks or other intrinsic uh, motivations for, for why they do what they do every day. It's also going to involve some extrinsic motivators, certainly um, for some making partner or making money uh, or moving up within uh, the organization, getting awards for their work. And then, of course, uh, successful client outcomes. We all are lawyers because we want to help the clients that we serve. And so what are successful client outcomes for those individuals? And so usually their definition of success is somewhere in the middle of, of all three. So if you think of all three as a Venn diagram, usually the definition of professional success for most lawyers is going to fall somewhere where there's overlap of all three ideas. And so once we've gotten to the point of identifying what success looks like, then we have to figure out, well, how is this particular individual going to find that success? Uh, and that's where it looks different from individual 
individual to individual in those indicators of success. Uh, for some, it's as simple as I'm just a resilient person and I'm going to be able to uh, muddle through the difficult days of practice. So resiliency is a, is, is a common indicator of success that we see in lawyers. For some, it's the ability to be agile and nimble in their practice. We see that with great trial lawyers who are able to think on their feet and adapt uh, you know, trial strategy very quickly. And for others, it may be about writing and, and research and being able to create cohesive argument from a ton of data and different facts. So those are just three that come to mind. But for every individual, your indicator of success uh, is going to be very different. And so that's really where mentoring comes in and, and working with individuals to uh, figure out what those indicators are going to be for them. Ryan, what are some of the levels of mentoring available to your participants? Sure. So in the CAMP program, we have really worked hard to develop a program that provides mentoring at all levels of practice. Even though most of our work is with new lawyers uh, in their first three years of practice, we have mentees in our program who have been uh, practicing law for 25 plus years and everyone in between, uh, because we really feel as though mentoring is something that is important to a legal career at, at all stages. And so we offer a variety of different programs, uh, also because we want to make sure that we're not creating a one-size fits all or moving walkway type of mentoring experience. So in our program, anyone can take advantage of individual mentoring. So one-on-one -on -one traditional type of mentoring. We also have group mentoring or peer-to-peer -peer mentoring where we have mentoring circles that are focusing on different practice areas, different lifestyle issues, for instance, one for, for parents who are also lawyers. Uh, we have coffee mentoring for folks who just need to have a cup of coffee with someone and pick their brain about whatever is um, going on in their, in their practice. And then we have a, a trial attorney mentoring program where we pair up uh, a mentor and a mentee to co-counsel a case together so that new lawyers are getting access to the courtroom as early as possible and getting great feedback, real-time feedback on their trial advocacy skills. So we've really created a diverse program where folks can find any type of mentoring that they may need at any point in their practice. That's fascinating. I, I think that's such an excellent model that you have in place in Colorado can you tell us a little bit about the history of how the Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program came into being? Absolutely. So the CAMP program was started in 2013. It came out of a task force uh, that was put together by our Chief Justice, uh, who really felt as though mentoring was lacking in the legal profession. That it used to be when you uh, came out into the profession, someone would take you under their wing, uh, they teach you how to do the job, introduce you to uh, the community, and maybe one day you'd even take over that practice. Uh, it was an old apprenticeship type of model. Uh, and that has really fallen away over the course of several decades. And uh, the notion of mentoring new lawyers as they come into practice has also fallen away. And so our chief justice recognized that at the time and, and thought, you know, we need a program here that will allow any lawyer in Colorado to have access to meaningful mentoring should they wish to receive it. Uh, and so through the work of a task force over the course of um, about 18 months, they put together the Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program. And like I said, it launched in 2013. And in that first initial year, we really just focused on new lawyers, so lawyers in their first three years of practice. But what we found, not surprisingly, was that we were getting requests for mentoring from lawyers of all different practice uh, expertise and abilities who maybe were in transition, uh, were looking for some support. And so over time, we've built the program into what it is today. Fascinating. And how do you get the word out about it? I'm interested in that. I, I think it must be 
somewhat challenging to let people know about this new program and that it's available and encourage them to come in. Absolutely. And one of the things that we do best as a program is collaboration. And so we work uh, very closely with the law schools here in Colorado, uh, University of Denver and University of Colorado, to get in front of their three L's uh, to let them know that this is an available option for them as they're coming out of law school so that we have a warm handoff from the law school mentoring programs into our program. We actually speak um, to Every new lawyer in Colorado, whether they're uh, just new to practice or new to the state coming in on motion, uh, there's a professionalism class that every new lawyer in Colorado must take. We speak at that uh, course, and that's where we get a lot of uh, our new mentees. Uh, We work very closely with the Bar Association, uh, the, the Colorado Bar, and then all of the local bars as well to help them to push out to their members uh, the, the benefits of our program. But I will tell you that uh, over the last seven years, word of mouth is really what drives participation in our program, that uh, we'll hear from mentees who say, you know, my the associate down the hall for me did this or my roommate did this and had a great experience, and so I want to take advantage of the program. Ryan, I imagine you have eager young lawyers wanting to be involved in this. What about the seasoned lawyers? How do you get them on board? Mostly we, we we get them on board through a combination of outreach through the local bars where they are in leadership positions. But what's been interesting to find is that um, many of our mentors will actually come back as mentees. So once we've invited them to be a mentor in the program, they've worked with us as a mentor, it starts to make sense to them that maybe they could use some mentoring as well. And so uh, we have a number of mentors who who then, uh, when they're done serving as a mentor, come back and seek to be a mentee in the program. And so uh, that's where we get those those seasoned lawyers who are uh, you know in, in transition and, and see the benefit of having some support in that transition. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Do you ever have people come in that are referred and they're not happy to be there? Or is it completely voluntary that people want to come in? It's a voluntary program. Uh, When uh, the task force that put camp together was considering how the program should be built, we did look at making it a mandatory model, as some states do. In some states, every new lawyer is required to have a mentor for their first year and and go through that program. Uh, But ultimately, here in Colorado, we decided that mandatory and mentoring just don't go together, that it's not very effective to force people into a professional relationship they don't want to be in. Uh, And so we we decided to, to to, to simply stick with a voluntary program. Every now and again, we'll get some mentees who have been um, referred to us because they are uh, dealing with some disciplinary issues within the Office of Attorney Regulation Council. They're not forced to have a mentor or be there, but it's highly suggested that they get a mentor as part of the resolution to their disciplinary issues. Interesting. And then could you talk a little bit about collaboration or coordination with your lawyer's assistance program? Absolutely. Our program out here is called Colap, uh, mm-hmm. and Colap and Camp are are usually seen on the same tagline in every um, uh, you know at every conference presentation or or uh, marketing because we work so closely together. And the reason for that is because a lot of times uh, when folks are coming to us for mentoring, of course, there's the practical aspects of learning how to do the job, uh, wanting to connect with the community, and, and things like that that we can we can help them do through mentoring. But what we hear from them a lot of times is, is issues of, of stress and well-being where they could use some additional support. 
our mentors at camp are really designed to help you become a better practitioner. And Colab is there to help you become a, you know, a, a better professional, a better person and, and help with your well-being. And so there's there's consistent overlap in the services that um, we're trying to provide from lawyer to lawyer. Uh, and so because of that, we work very closely and and and, and try as, as best we can to to provide that holistic approach uh, to every lawyer who seeks services. Excellent. I think it's a really remarkable program, the way it's organized and the outreach and the enthusiasm for it. So I'm really glad that you were willing to talk with us today. Can you think of any other points you'd like to share that we haven't covered with the questions? I think I just want to reinforce that, you know, mentoring is something that every lawyer should should welcome. It's not just for the new lawyers. It's a way to grow as, as a professional. And mentoring has changed. I think for a lot of seasoned lawyers out there, they, you know, remember their law school mentoring program or some other program that maybe felt forced, maybe felt like it wasn't as um, as beneficial to them. And and what I try to tell people all of the time is that mentoring is different now. We've learned a lot about how to do, do this well and do this uh, in a way that's meaningful for lawyers. And so I encourage everyone, wherever you know they may be, to seek out the, the mentoring programs in, in their state or in their community and take advantage of it uh, because I, I, I think they'll find that it's, it's much more meaningful than they might anticipate. Let me ask one more question. How do you get the mentors themselves? How were those folks identified and, and brought into the picture? Initially, when the program launched, we created a pool of mentors uh, based on uh, who we saw as leaders within the legal community, people who we felt could provide the type of mentoring that we were trying to provide to our mentees. Um, and over time, uh, we've grown that mentor pool. We now have almost 1,000 mentors across the state of Colorado. We've grown that pool in two ways. One, um, we have mentors who come to us and, and volunteer, which is always lovely. But we continue to do outreach to individuals uh, who we identify as leaders and mentors and, and, and folks who have the type of information, expertise, uh, and communication skills to help serve our, our mentees. So it's really a combination of efforts. But I'll tell you this, when we started our, our program, we were very um, conscious about making CLE credit available. And so we are a CLE accredited program, but only uh, 12% of the folks who come through our program claim that credit. And that tells us that uh, folks are not coming to the mentoring program for CLE. They're coming because it's beneficial. And that's the same for mentors. We thought that CLE credit would be necessary to get mentors to be willing to volunteer. And we found that that's not the case. Uh, the mentors who work with us truly believe in giving back to the profession, wanting to improve the profession and help new lawyers and lawyers in transition to find success. And because that's their core motivation, that makes them even better mentors over time. And so we're very proud of our mentor pool. We're very confident in it. Uh, and they're all there for the right reasons. That's an impressive number, a thousand mentors across the state. We're both very um, amazed at that. Well, this is very, very interesting discussion. I, I am so grateful that you were willing to talk with us today. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guest today, Ryan Payton, for a wonderful program. Ryan, if our listeners would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Absolutely. So the best way to reach me is to go to our website, which is coloradomentoring.org. Colorado Mentoring is just one 
one word. So if you go to coloradomentoring.org, you can learn more about the CAMP program, but you'll also find my contact information, my email and phone number. And I'll be very transparent. I love to, to talk about this. I'm happy to chat with anyone who has questions. If you run a mentoring program in other states and want to talk about um, you know best practices, give me a call. If you want to talk about professional identity, give me a call. Uh, I love to talk about these things, and I'm always uh, willing to, to have those conversations. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And the other aspect of our website I like to make clear is that we don't copyright anything, and we do that on purpose so that folks who are trying to build mentoring programs or improve mentoring programs can take our stuff and implement it in your own program. Uh, we'd love for you to not have to recreate the wheel. So please feel free to take anything you see on our website with respect to mentoring plans or toolkits or, or whatever works for you and go ahead and use those materials in your programs as well. Thank you, Ryan. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.